we start with Kraushaus. So Kraushaus is a seven million, it's a DAO. It currently has about $7 million in the DAO and they have a very clear plan. They want to purchase an NBA team with the idea that they're, that decentralized sports organizations, uh, sports DAOs will be the next era of sports franchise ownership. So DAOs come in all shapes and sizes. I think commonly when they're discussed, they get smushed down into a, you know, completely like extremely democratized uh, approach to governance. Mm -hmm. So I think immediately it's easy to conjure up an idea of 10,000 people trying to pick the next GM for a team. But I think Krauss has an appreciation for that and is trying to avoid that by structuring their DAO in uh, what I would call a responsible way generally, but also considering the fact that if you want to buy an NBA team, you need the commissioner's approval as well as three quarters of other teams' approval. And I'll tell you right now, my gut says most uh, the owners of the 30 NBA teams probably aren't going to be super excited at the prospect of a Dow trying to own a team. Uh, but that's kind of my first blush read on this. Uh, what's your take on this one, Max? I'm, I'm with you. I, I think it's probably not something that the owners are going to support. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily know if this would, you know, lose them any money per se, but I don't think they like change in general. And when you do something like this, where you're almost reinventing ownership uh, of a sports team, that's a lot of change for people. Um, and when you have significant amount of money invested into a professional franchise, your best bet is, you know, keeping things stable, not shaking things up. Um, mm-hmm. That keeps your value where it's at. So this, I mean, this could absolutely draw more attention to the NBA, could create more excitement. Maybe it does overall increase the value of a franchise or the league, but that's a risk. And I think that's a risk most owners aren't willing to take. So it would be interesting to see, but. Yeah. So here's why I think this is kind of interesting because they explicitly say that they acknowledge that the array of expertise is very important in running an NBA franchise. And they want to ensure that decisions are made from those who are well-informed, well-versed. They're talking people who have been in the league. Uh, So, what they want is something akin to a DAO establishing a technical decision-making process that should be just left to those technical decision-makers. So they talked about having the holding DAO, which most people would hold, but then they would also have a sub-DAO for the ownership and actually running the team. So they would segregate, um, and, and this should draw a lot of parallels to existing corporate governance structures, but kind of insulating, like you said, the stable, the stability needed on running a team from <laughs> the uh, kind of the, what, what can be kind of the crazy uh, sentiment of fans. Mm-hmm. And and so I guess reading through this, in your opinion, they, they kind of have this chart that shows their treasury holdings um, kind of talk about how they'd operate with this token model. In your opinion, I guess, what did you think of that model? And and do you think that's something that could, I guess, prosper in that type of situation? I'm, I I am far from an expert on tokenomics. And I think, I I guess I go back to, I like the idea, because right now the treasury is really all they have. They they Mm -hmm. don't, 
they're not involved with an NBA team at all. So managing the treasury is all they have, which is fine. You know, you're earning probably some yield here. Um, they talk about the dual uh, token model. Um, with So they also have some NFTs they issue that carry a little bit of ownership as well. You can transfer NFTs, not the ownership stake. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think that this is going to have to start a lot smaller and maybe eventually get to ownership. For example, yesterday, late last night, there was an announcement by uh, Duquan from Terra. There, he put a proposal out seeking $40 million for a very close advertising partnership with a yet unnamed uh, major sports franchise. And that to me seems like the logical starting point. Get in good, build some credibility, show that you're a serious organization. Um, then as you transition to less centralized to this DAO uh, organization that you have in mind, then you can build maybe into a 1% minority stake. Maybe owners are comfortable just kind of, because that's like what Aaron Rodgers has with the Bucks. It's really kind of a token 1% ownership stake. It's like, you know, we see some advantages in having you as a face. So we'll give you just a tiny little crumb, mm -hmm. <laughs> a tiny little crumb. It's probably millions. <laughs> but uh you know, they, they talk about how there might be a stepping stone here. So yeah. I do the structure they're going for. I just think that there's going to probably have to be steps when you go for the NBA. There are right. other leagues that I think jumping right into ownership actually holds a lot more promise. Yep. And honestly, you basically took that right. That's what I was about to say as well is basically, I think there's other leagues that you could probably test this out before you get to a major sports league, like, you know, the NFL, the NBA, MLB. These are such large organizations with so much to lose and, and so much old money, if you will, that that change is not likely to happen starting at that level. But if you can, like you said, if you can get into a smaller league or a smaller ownership position in a different league, you could prove that this model works. Because I think what we need to see is a proof of concept. I don't think we know for sure that this this type of uh, you know autonomous organization is the answer or is better than what we currently have. I would certainly like to see, and I and I think it could be a better structure. But again, it's a lot of risk to take with with a lot of unknowns. So, to, in my opinion, this will be like you said, started on a smaller scale, and if we see success and it works, then more people will consider this you know style of of structure going forward with, you know, maybe new teams as they're added to leagues. Um, I think the NHL is actually adding a new team. So that would be, you know, one of those situations where in the future, that could be a time where a Dow purchases that team. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause that's kind of one of the other rubs here is that um, for those who might not be familiar with uh, American sports stadiums and new stadiums are a huge portion of ownership transfer. So a lot of times when you come in wanting to buy a team, because there's so much money in sports now, really the leagues can demand any new owners have to also come up with a plan for creating a new stadium, which runs nowadays into almost a billion dollars. So uh, obtaining ownership for these major sports, yes, becoming more costly, more complex. I don't think financing is going to be a problem here. Um, no. But again, it's that structure and, and yeah, the credibility. So um, one, one thing they did mention is that they drew a parallel to F1 DAO, which is a very similar DAO that's seeking to start up its own F1 car. Um, now, this actually seems to me a great starting point. The NBA is very reliant on its member teams 
for revenue, operations, credibility, and just much more interdependence. With F1, these teams have much more independence. And so if I'm like in F1 and I see this DAO say, hey, we want to set up our own F1 team, um, it just seems much more doable to say, you know what, fine, no skin off my back. If you can cobble together $200 million, buy a car, hire a driver, uh, we'll put him on the track, he can race. And you know what, if he, if your team flames out after one race, whatever, we still have our league, we still have our other teams. So yeah, the actual one racing route seems like a good maybe place to prove it and then bring it to these other types of leagues. I agree. I agree. And it's, it kind of reminds me of almost like NASCAR where, you could pretty much put any advertisement you want on your car so long as you agreed to a deal. And and I know it's not a direct parallel because that's not ownership, but I guess the idea of a league allowing for individuals to have a lot of autonomy in their decision-making, whether that be who owns it, who sponsors it, et cetera. So I, I agree 100%. I think that F1 DAO will be a really good um, kind of heat check to see, you know, what is the appetite for a structure like this and does it work? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think the biggest risk is always going to be the scenario where, well, what if, I mean, who are these people, these, these thousands of people that own your, your DAO, you know, what's going to prevent them from just, yeah. Like you said earlier, firing an owner, firing a GM every year or making unreasonable yeah. demand. It's, or, um, or naming their team Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> Anytime you give the internet too much power, who knows what's going to happen. <laughs> No, exactly. And fair or not, that's the stigma you're up against. And so, yeah, you're going to need a very real and probably a long track record of credibility. So, no, hat tip to uh, Kraus for getting the ball rolling and uh, definitely going to keep my eye on him because. Yeah. yeah. And if anything, it's really good advertising for Kraus because we're talking yeah. about them and they're in the news. So even if they never buy this team, I would say well done. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of different ways they can get into sports. So it's a good uh, good way to kick off their name recognition. So um, cool. Well, that was uh, Love Sports. Love talking about sports. But you have an article for us today too, right? I do. So this was basically about Binance. Um, so Binance is reportedly building a $1 billion insurance fund to counter crypto attacks. So it's been pretty common and always has been, unfortunately. But as of late, a lot of hacks and, and kind of exploits have occurred on these uh, large exchanges. Um, so basically to combat that, uh, Binance is building up a war chest of funds, which they will set aside to basically fight, you know, any sort of hacks or, or exploits that occur on exchange. Um, and I guess they've been building up this kind of this reserve since 2018, but um, they recently announced that they're going to really focus on on building up this insurance kind of reserve specifically for fraud. Um, they, they, one thing that I've noticed though, is that no matter what you do, anytime there's this much financial incentive, there's always going to be fraud. There's always going to be people looking to exploit um, users. So this, this type of fund is, is very necessary in my eyes. And I think 1 billion is a good start, but um, that'll probably need to grow over time. Cause as more money starts to, come through these exchanges as more people adopt crypto, these losses are going to be extraordinary um, in my eyes. So I don't know mm-hmm. if you got a chance to read it, but um, it, it's, it was quite uh, a nice thing to see, but at the same time, knowing it's just a start. Yeah. And I think uh, it's good. I, I really, you know, it's good that you have a fund you can draw on to reimburse um, 
good actors that suffer from bad actors, but it's also a very powerful peace of mind effect. Um, yes. The placebo effect, because um, exchanges seem to be right now the point where most people feel most comfortable venturing into crypto. And if you want to keep pulling people in, just even giving them that peace of mind is going to be good because the numbers say if you if you're in crypto, um, generally you're not going to suffer from these attacks. They, they're very. You're right. They are increasing because the market, the, the potential gains are increasing. Um, but just the numbers say like you're very unlikely to run into this on a year to year basis. But uh, that doesn't really matter because I mean you know uh, people tend to be very bad at risk assessment and. Uh, <laughs> Just yeah. just knowing that there's a a someone there to catch you, yeah. I think right. Well, and it's ironic because the the old saying in crypto is you know not your keys, not your crypto. So if you're not the owner of the wallet, if you don't have the keys to your wallet personally, then you really don't own that crypto. Because if it's sitting on an exchange and that exchange shuts down, you don't get that crypto back. That's gone. And you don't have keys to a wallet to access it. So you really never owned it at that point. The exchange allowed you to withdraw it, but they essentially owned it because at any point they could take it. And so that's where it's kind of ironic that people feel the most comfortable with their money or crypto on an exchange when in all reality, it's probably the most risky. Um, So I just think that's kind of an ironic thing. But to your point, it's that peace of mind. And then now when they're starting to have these backings, you know, these insurance funds, now it starts to become a little more feasible to keep your crypto on an exchange because even if it is taken, you can be reimbursed. And to a lot of people, like you said, just having that peace of mind is plenty. Um, yeah. I mean, I was just reading the other day that it was, I think it was on crypto.com. They had about 500 customer accounts hacked. And I think the total was about 30 million of funds were taken. It was mm-hmm. about 5,000 ETH and something 450 Bitcoin approximately. And then total at the time or as of today would be around $30 million. And that's just one attack on one exchange in one day. So that just goes to show you how quickly this could escalate, how large these hacks could be. I mean, with how much money is flowing through these exchanges, some coming through bridges, which are susceptible to hacks, it could really turn into a, a very, very lucrative business for hackers. Um, and so these funds are going to have to keep being built at all these exchanges, and they're going to need to keep growing uh, as the crypto space grows. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're talking about some very old concepts here. Uh, in this case, insurance, but also policing and regulation to some extent have been popular topics that we keep talking about. And they 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 do need to come to some exchanges to make it more accessible to people because it's kind of like a hiking trail. Some people will take the risk of going wherever they want and venturing into the newest DeFi protocols, but most people are just willing to go as far as the trail has been maintained. So, um, yeah, yeah, this is, uh, you know, you, you still always have your option of, I mean, there's so many exchanges out there, but. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's nice. And now, and I know we're running up on time, so I'll leave it at this, but it, it is nice to have more exchanges, more options. Um, the only issue right now in my eyes is if you want to go from a token to USD back into your bank account, the only off ramp for fiat is through these centralized exchanges. Mm-hmm. I I would wish or I would hope soon we have an option that is 
that allows you to get from tokens back to fiat into your bank without having to go through a centralized exchange because that in my eyes would just make me feel much more comfortable knowing that I can get my money out without having to rely on some third party that I don't necessarily trust. Mm-hmm. I do know that that's a long ways away. Um, yeah. Do you think like that they're willing to work with these exchanges, but not quite ready to work with individuals? Okay. Do you think that's even possible because there has to be some interaction with the traditional banking? And it seems like so far it, it only really is going to be these centralized exchanges that have identifiable centralized uh, structure. So whether or not it's possible, I'm, I'm not, I'm sure it's possible in some, in some way, I guess to your point, I don't know if you're always going to have to depend on some sort of intermediary to get it from, you know, my wallet to the bank. But if mm-hmm. they can build even an interface that is maybe use a smart contract <laughs> to allow you to send your tokens from your wallet to your actual bank account, that would be amazing. Um, I know they have the technology and I know they have the money to develop it, but will they is the question. Mm-hmm. Well, we also, this conversation takes place against the backdrop of a ever evolving debate on what a central bank digital currency might look like and whether you could hold that in a wallet. And exactly. uh, yeah, so awesome. Well, thanks, bud. Uh, thanks for jumping on today. Appreciate